0: I'm Mackenzie Roller, and this is Voices of Change for Change. Last winter, I traveled abroad for the first time. I traveled to Johannesburg, South Africa, and stayed at the African Leadership Academy with a group of Ms. Porter's students. I did not know what to expect as I traveled to South Africa. I had no knowledge of the country beyond what I had learned from my European history class and South African comedian Trevor Noah's memoir, born a crime. I never could have imagined how much I would learn about myself, especially about my blind spots. I had the opportunity to travel to the Apartheid Museum. The museum takes a visitor through the history of Apartheid in South Africa using images, structures, and writing. The tour rocked me. I could not believe that throughout my education I had never learned about apartheid in a classroom, only through my own reading, and even that was so incomplete. We later traveled to a Holocaust and Rwandan Genocide Museum. I have learned about the Holocaust in school every year for as long as I can remember, but the only thing I knew about the Rwandan genocide was that it had happened. I cannot believe that so many tragedies and stories are completely left out of our curriculum in the United States. The fact that we choose only to focus on European history is so limiting and incomplete. There is so much more to the story. Our identities shape the way we experience and see the world. What we look like, what we believe in, where we live. These are all aspects of our that frame the world we see. Because of this, it is easy to grow up with blind spots and biases. It is hard to understand perspectives outside of our own. But in order to understand our place in the world, we must put in the work to see beyond our single story. I first heard of the limits and consequences of living with a limited perspective through a popular TED talk by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, an award-winning author who grew up in Nigeria. When she came to America, she was shocked by the simplicity of people's understanding of her home nation. Here's a bit of her talk entitled The Danger of a Single Story.
1: Of course, Africa is a continent full of catastrophes, the immense ones such as the horrific rapes in Congo and depressing ones such as the fact that 5,000 people apply for one job vacancy in Nigeria. But there are other stories that are not about catastrophe and it is very important, it is just as important to talk about them. I've always felt that it is impossible to engage properly with a place or a person without engaging with all of the stories of that place and that person. The consequence of the single story is this, it robs people of dignity. It makes our recognition of our equal humanity difficult. It emphasizes how we are different rather than how we are similar.
0: The stories I heard on my trip made it difficult to understand how easily people generalize Africa as an entire continent, as if all of Africa looks and operates in the same way. But there are 54 countries on the continent, all with different histories, governments, cultures, and stories. There are cities, and there are rural areas. There are areas that are struggling, and there are areas that are thriving, just like every other continent in the world. Was I contributing to the stereotype and generalization of an entire continent? Was my Instagram post about the wildlife reserve perpetuating the single story? Should I only be sharing about the parts of my trip that people may not automatically associate with South Africa, the city, the art? It is impossible to understand every story outside of your own, but it is important to recognize that you do not know every story outside of your own. Then, you can begin to be intentional about finding your blind spots, about hearing other stories, and you can begin to understand how you fit into the world. If you do not understand how you fit into the world, at least on some level, how will you be able to change the world? Welcome back to Voices of Change for Change. I'm Mackenzie Roller. I'm a senior at Miss Porter School in Farmington, Connecticut. This podcast is the culmination of my senior capstone project, working to answer the question, how can we create effective social change? Vanessa Rubble was a co-founder of the Women's March on Washington in 2017. Since then, she has founded and currently serves as the executive director of the organization March On, a nonprofit that aims to unify activists across the nation to create political influence and push for a different future. Rubble's involvement in movements that have shaped our modern society made her an incredible person to speak with. What makes her perspective even more unique is her work with the company she helped to create called OK Africa. OK Africa is now the largest media company focused on sharing the real, nuanced story of Africa today, fighting Westerners' bias towards the continent. Rebel has made an international impact and truly dedicated her life to moving our society forward. When we spoke, Rebel said passion and dedication have always been a part of her. Rebel attended a Quaker school growing up, learning about the importance of community, responsibility, and service. That upbringing, she says, gave her the gene that makes her speak up when things are unjust. This raw passion was shaped as she grew up. She looked up to her father, who was a prominent lawyer in Washington, D.C. She developed a similar love of fighting for what she believes in. After having the chance to travel the world, Rebel ended up working for a nonprofit that placed her in Sierra Leone. We started our conversation with her insights as to how that experience has shaped her approach to her push for social change today. Sierra
1: Leone had two years earlier just called a ceasefire of an 11 year civil war, which had basically destroyed the entire country. Yet when I was there, I really got into the pop culture. So I got to know a lot of the like amazing artists and some of these artists were instrumental in helping create peace in the country and singing about messages of coming together and nonviolence. But also the music was just good. And I was just astonished that there was no way to get that in the U.S. and I was like, this is really relevant to our culture. And if people were exposed to it, they would love it. And then the other thing that happened was that at that time, I was working in what they call development, which is trying to develop a country, trying to build the capacity of that country to be able to move out of poverty. And I felt like a lot of the work that was being done in that region was not necessarily helpful and was almost neo colonial. And I saw, you know, lots of Westerners riding around in their nice vehicles, driven by their people, and going to dinner. One dinner would cost what a month of income for our workers. And I felt very disturbed by that. And I also felt that. I understood that I was a Westerner coming into a culture and trying to help that culture without really knowing anything. And I felt that that was not the approach that I wanted to take. I was like, you know, there's a lot more to Sierra Leone and there's a lot more to many of these countries. And if we keep treating these countries like they're war-torn, like they're full of child soldiers, like they're full of starving people people are going to continue to feel that way and treat the entire continent of Africa in a way that's counterproductive to its development. And there's so much more, and it's so so much richer than that. Okay, Africa was, in some senses, a bridge, connecting our culture here, our hip-hop culture here, and connecting the music and the vibrant youth culture that was going on there. And that was sort of my new framework for... Quote unquote development is hey, let's get out of thinking about this country and this region as something we need to pity and let's really uplift some of the great stuff that's going on there and let's create a platform for giving a voice to all the young creators and thought leaders and artists that are in Africa that people in America really should know about.
0: Yeah. So, do you think? What you've learned as you've bridged the gap between America and the Western culture in general and Africa, have you learned anything from that experience that's transferred over to how you approach feminism?
1: Yeah, there's a popular philosophy right now of stepping back and letting people from those cultures really be uplifted and having their voices heard. And I think that that was something we strove to do in OK Africa. You know, we were just creating a platform rather than being the focus ourselves. So that philosophy definitely transferred over. And just understanding the framing of where I was coming from as a white person, as someone who has certainly had a lot of benefits that other people don't have. So understanding where I come from has had an impact on the way I work
0: and kind of along that same lines like your identity totally impacts how you see the world and how you experience the world and that's I mean kind of what you're talking about right now and I'm actually taking a class called history of feminism right now and we've been talking a lot about intersectional feminism and I was wondering if you could speak about like what this might mean to you how you've experienced it and just the general importance of intersectionality in social movements in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's been this long history of feminism leaving behind groups of people who are most impacted by biases and misogyny. And I think that while there are certainly instances in feminist and the women's movement where that was not the case, too often it was the case. So when I started doing the Women's March, I gave a lot of thought to how do we not repeat past mistakes? How do we make sure that other voices are centered and included and so forth? One of my big roles in the Women's March was to bring in leaders from different communities and groups and put them in positions of power.
0: Right. And then speaking about your past activism and social movements in general. What do you believe is necessary for social change to be successful? Are there key pieces or strategies your groups use to make the change possible?
1: So, yes. One of the things that I would like people to do more of is understanding that if you don't treat people well on a day-to-day basis, I think that a movement is bound to fail. And I don't think people have started talking about that connection of, in my own life i practice what i preach you know for the most part obviously i'm not perfect at all and i've made plenty of mistakes but i would like to see that from leaders there's the saying absolute power corrupts absolutely and i think even in movements when people gain a certain amount of power just by the nature of what power does to people it changes how you act and how you behave and I think that we need to be more mindful of that.
0: Yeah. And so, when you're talking about power and, and acting in your everyday lives, how does that translate over to like change that's sustained over time? Because that's something that I think we struggle with as power changes. And how do you create sustainable change?
1: So, one of the things we're doing now is we've created a coalition called the Climate Strike Coalition. And that coalition has been built very intentionally, not only by youth, but certainly by youth of color to ensure that we're not creating the same kind of white, privileged, oriented movement that the climate movement in particular has fallen vulnerable to. We've built the coalition in a way that tries to sidestep a lot of the problems that coalitions and movements in the past have fallen prey to. People fight over money, fame, and power. So understanding the vulnerabilities of being human and creating structures that make it harder to be taken down by those vulnerabilities. So for example, building a movement in which many people are out front so that many different groups are able to have access to resources
0: Yeah. One of the things that I've come across through my research, and you kind of brought it up there, is like there are a bunch of different movements working for the same ultimate goal in theory. And some claim that like these groups should all work together because of resources. And so I don't know if you could speak a little bit to how different movements working for the same goal should work together, can work together from your perspective.
1: Yeah. I mean, yes, they should all work together. One of the key philosophies of march on is if we all march together in the same direction we're going to have exponentially more power to change things so how do we get all the different groups who are trying to do the same things marching in the same direction and that's a painstaking process of building coalitions and trust between people
0: yeah especially because you've been in, like, a part of activism and social change for so long and also working with youth activists now. How do you think social media has changed what it means to be an activist, how it has changed social change movements in general? Social media definitely has
1: changed movements, and I think that's one of the things that our youth leaders talk about all the time is there's never been a youth movement that has had access to... Such widespread distributed media, such as social media platforms. The Vietnam movement against the Vietnam War did not have that. The civil rights movement did not have that. So, how do we use these forms of media in a way that furthers the goals of the movement? And it's a matter of trial and error right now. Once you figure out you know, one strategy, and that strategy becomes a little stale, how do you come up with a new strategy? And, you know, and that's where people who have really creative mindsets come in.
0: If you had the chance to speak to all the youth activists in the world who are so passionate about what they're doing and what they want to see in the world, what advice would you give to them as to how to make that change?
1: Understanding that the impossible becomes possible Only when you decide it can be. Don't let people tell you that change is impossible. Don't let people limit your ideas of how the world can be. Hold on to your idealism. And at the same time, understand that compromise is sadly necessary. So you've got to maintain this balance of holding on to your idealism, wanting to make the most change possible, and understanding also the realities of the world and how political systems work. And then I would also say, behave well in your personal life. Behave well to your friends and behave well to people you disagree with. That is going to translate out to a much stronger movement.
0: Vanessa shared with me how she saw herself in the context of a problem and how her awareness of her identity has shaped the way she approaches her work. Confronting your identity can be hard and it can be uncomfortable. This conversation made me consider how I could see myself in the context of my world. I am a middle-class white woman. I walk through the world with an incredible amount of privilege. Part of that privilege is the ability to not have to think about race or my identity or how I am perceived when I walk into a room. In order to understand how I fit into the world, I have to be willing to recognize how my identifiers change the way that I walk through society. I had had conversations about identity and privilege throughout high school, but it was not until I was in South Africa that I caught a small glimpse of how real my privilege is in daily situations. On my way to a basketball game with the African Leadership Academy girls team, I turned to look around me and realized for the first time in my life, I was the only white girl on the bus. The discomfort that bubbled up inside me was like nothing I had experienced before. I was suddenly self-conscious of the color of my skin and my American identity. Although I knew I was welcome, I did not feel like I belonged. In this moment, I began to understand the impact that race has on people of color in the United States every day, from self-confidence to personal perspective. I felt ashamed that I had never truly understood the privilege that comes with being in the historically dominant racial majority. I also know that what I felt on the bus that day happened once, and is so small compared to the everyday experience of people of color in the United States, but the importance is that it revealed a blind spot, as my whiteness was no longer a shield preventing me from recognizing the immense power of race on individuals' daily lives. Reflecting on myself and noticing my blind spots is hard, but it is crucial to understanding my role in the world. That experience allowed me to understand on a new level that I have responsibility as a person living with such privilege and societal power to show up for others and to fight for change and equality of all people. As an ally, I'm also in a position to encourage others to understand their own privilege and recognize the societal systems of oppression that are oftentimes invisible to those in positions of privilege. No one knows the exact path to create a just society. Otherwise, we would have already taken it. The important thing is to continue to work to move forward, to reflect on yourself and the people around you. Continue creating paths forward, even if that means creating hundreds of paths before you get it right. Vanessa Rubble is currently the executive director of March On. This episode was written and produced by me, Mackenzie Roller, with editing help from Allie Oshinsky. The music is by Sound of Picture. Special thanks to Sophie Paris, the Global Studies cohort, my family, and the rest of the Capstone students. Next time on Voices of Change for Change, I will be speaking with a defense attorney, an immigration attorney, as well as a judge. The criminal justice system is a part of our everyday lives, governing the way we act. In order to understand how to begin to change the systems that run our nation, it is important to speak to the people involved in the structure every day. The attorneys will share their insights as to how the criminal justice system has changed, how their roles have changed over time, and how they believe change can happen. This is Voices of Change for Change. I'm Mackenzie Roller. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.